So for people in treatment from drug and alcohol addiction and behavioral health, what are the steps to now coping with coronavirus while in recovery? Let's find out with Dr. Bennett Davis, Director of the Pain Recovery Program at Sierra Tucson. This is Let's Talk Mind, Body, Spirit by Sierra Tucson. Sierra Tucson ranked number one best addiction treatment centers 2020 in Arizona by Newsweek. I'm Scott Webb. Dr. Davis, thanks so much for being on. During this worldwide pandemic, can or how do people access the mental and behavioral health care they need? You know, there's a, a wide variety of people who access the system. There are people with no computer access, no transportation, no insurance, and for them, it's been pretty tough. And the public health departments in all the localities around the country, including Tucson area, are working on that. Uh, for people that are in the system, what's happened is a really rapid transition to telehealth, thank goodness. You know, in like in five days, we saw the, the country transition to telebehavioral health. And so people in the system are able to still, by and large, connect with their psychiatrist, psychologist uh, with the system. I've been calling, actually made some calls to New York to find out if uh, the behavioral health providers that I know back there are able to connect with their patients. And by and large, they're pretty happy with it. They, they still are. Since you bring up the issue of you know accessing, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pitch for two nonprofits that have really good websites, if that's all right. One is NAMI, uh, that's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. If people just search that NAMI on their on their browser, they'll pull up the very landing page now says resources during COVID, <laughs> and there's another group um, that the Aces Collaboratives around the country uh, in Arizona. The website is azaces.org, but if you were to look up ACES Collaborative um, or ACES Coalition, you'll find your own states. Most states have this. In Arizona, as in most of the other states, as soon as you get to that website, again, here are the, the landing page will have resources for dealing with COVID, and that website really focuses on kids on how to sort of trauma-proof your kids about this whole thing, how to present it. They even have like little coloring booklets that you can download for kids to, to talk about COVID with a little virus character on the front. So those are really good resources for people that are uh, struggling. And of course, there are hotlines for each locality as well. Those are great resources. And as you say, for people who are already in the system, they've got a little bit of an advantage there, but there are options available if this is a first time or if people are you know, just trying to play catch up due to shelter in place. So are the residential facilities still open? And if so, why? Yes. For people that aren't familiar, there are outpatient behavioral health clinics. You can go in, see a psychologist or a doctor, um, go to group therapy, that sort of thing, and go home. Then there's another level of care that we call residential. Then above that, there's care for people who are really struggling, really acutely suicidal, psychotic, that sort of thing. And that we would call inpatient care. So the residential facilities exist for the group of people that need daily observation, daily visits with healthcare providers, and a safe environment need to be watched pretty close, but don't necessarily need that really high level of care. And it's kind of like uh, kind of like the medical system. You know, there's people who still need to go to the emergency room or the hospital. Right now, we'd rather not. But if someone's having chest pain or they have appendicitis or pneumonia or something like that, they're going to need to get into the hospital. So there's just like in, in medical health care, in behavioral health care, there's a population of people that need to get into a higher level of care than we can deliver outpatient. So the situation really is no different before the virus or after. 
you know, just thinking about it, you know, of course, uh, shelter in place and quarantining is, uh, you know, the, the mandate, if you will. But that doesn't change what people need. People have needs. People have, you know, physical and mental needs. And it's good to know that you're trying to, you know, uh, keep things as normal as possible for people, uh, business as usual. Right, right. We can't close our hospitals. We just can't do that. Absolutely not. Right. So uh, speaking, you know, just in general, how has your facility adapted to coronavirus and COVID-19? What changes have you made? So rapidly, very rapidly, a lot. The The bottom line is that in our facility, as in the others that I'm in touch with, you know, we follow the CDC and state health department guidelines. I know that our medical director and leadership are in contact with the state health department here in Arizona very frequently, uh, almost on a daily basis, to make sure we're in, in lockstep with what's going on with the state. The, you know, the most important thing is, is to understand a little bit about uh, how infections get going. Infectious diseases get into our population, not with people coming across borders. There's been a lot of focus on that. That's actually not the most important thing. When people get sick with an infectious disease, what do they do? They go to the doctor. That is what we would call in public health the usual portal of entry of an infectious illness into our communities. They go to the doctor, and if the doctor's office or the facility isn't prepared to recognize and act appropriately when someone comes in looking sick with an infectious disease, then um, it can spread. You know, the, the, the receptionist can catch it, the doc can catch it if they're not careful, and then they spread it within the clinic and within, the, within their families, and so it goes. So it's really key that facilities, doctor's offices and the facilities like residential behavioral health care, like where I work, really are dotting their I's and crossing their T's. So what we've done is um, we've limited access to our facility. We used to have family weeks. We do those virtually now. We don't have uh, people coming in and getting tours, things like that. And we've decreased the size of the groups we have in group therapy. We've enforced social distancing, all that kind of thing. When new people, patients come in, they're screened. When our employees come into work every day, they're screened for a fever and so on. So we're, we're looking for any evidence that uh, it's spreading within the community. So far, thank goodness, none. And we're looking for anyone who might be bringing it in really, really carefully. Uh, we've done a lot of training of our staff who might come into contact with people who are in quarantine or isolation, uh, because that's that's also another really important thing to keep it from spreading, getting into the community and spreading. So some of those are kind of really basic. You've heard about with the, with the CDC uh, guidelines. And we've made a big transition to telehealth. Even even our, our routine meetings where we used to get together and, and eat lunch and people would talk about their patients, the um, you know the staffing meetings, we do those via telehealth. Everyone's on their computers in their offices. So it's sort of a strange time to be going through this. But th- those are some of the things that, that we're doing. That's awesome. And so great that you guys, you know, were on it so early. So when we talk about follow-up, how are people following through or getting the follow-up they need, the support that they need with all that's going on right now? Yeah, that's a big one, right? You can imagine people who are have uh, trauma, depression, anxiety, chronic pain issues, that sort of thing. And now we're all told to stay home and isolate. And that's like the worst thing, right? Because it's the loss of connection that is really dangerous for people who are struggling with behavioral health issues and mental health issues. So the uh, the follow-up after they leave is going to be 
mostly telehealth in either what we call an intensive outpatient or PHP program. There are still programs that are running uh, places, facilities where a person can go and stay in a modified environment, social distancing and so on, stay, say, out of, out of state, out of their uh, town, and then go back and forth to an IOP. But a lot of that back and forth isn't going to be for personal groups now. They're going to be staying where they're where they're housed, and they're going to be doing a lot of telemedicine. People who don't need that are going to go back and get connected with telehealth services and that sort of thing. And uh, what we're noticing at, at my facility, I don't know how common this is around the country, but we have a uh, what we call Connect 365. So a full year, 365 days of following the patient outside and providing uh, support to them if they're stuck and they can't make connections. So we out reach out and stay in touch with people. In talking with that, the, the group of employees who run that program, they're seeing a lot more calls from people who have been discharged, either from their therapist, from the patient or from some folks that have that have helped coordinate their care from a care coordinator, we'll get calls about that and coordinate so there's there's a need for a lot of aftercare support after they need they need residential and thank goodness we're able to provide that and it's being used. I, I wanted to find out uh, recently about how how busy that is and they're they're at least twice as busy now. So all those sort of things are are critical to keep people connected after they leave. Ideally, um, when there's no virus around, people are in groups and can meet do their group therapy and that's very important. But that's just not possible now. Definitely not. And that sort of transitions into the next question because you're talking about what people need. And we know right now people need this type of stuff. So what advice can you share with our listeners to help them manage anxiety, stress for themselves, for a loved one? We've all seen this. We're getting an avalanche of uh, information about how to do that out there. Um, there are uh, all kinds of good articles being written on what to do. Staying connected, I kind of said this before, staying connected as best you can on a regular basis with whatever technology you have, telephone, computer, that sort of thing is crucial for, for staying mentally and physically healthy. Uh, obviously, exercise and, and sleep is going to be good. And, um, you know, I'm going to say consuming news in moderation. <laughs> that's, that's pretty important. Uh, it's all day, every day, 24-7 COVID news, and it's easy to get pulled into that. And I advise people to be careful about how often they're consuming it and in what circumstances, that it's not just on in the background all the time. It's good to stay caught up, of course, on what's going on, but not, not all the time. There are a number of companies that provide uh, meditation advice, some free, some not. Uh, through the internet that are excellent. I mean, really just excellent. I mean, when I say a number, there are many. Uh, there are free YouTube uh, courses on how to meditate, and that's a really important thing to manage stress. I would sort of say, you know, in managing our lives, um, there's a thing called the serenity uh, prayer, which isn't, uh, it's agnostic really, but they, they call it a prayer. And that goes something like, you know, accepting the things we cannot change, having the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That applies a lot now. There's a lot we can't change. This is this uh, pandemic is a thing that, you know, it's here, 
we can modify it as we're hearing, but there's a lot about it we can't change. We can't change that we need the social distance now and that people have stay at home orders and things like that. And um, le learning how to accept that and using whatever resources, uh, whether it's meditation or um, talking with family about it, you have to, to sort of work through how we, we're going to just roll with that is really critical. So well said, doctor. There's there's just so much that we can't control, but some of the things we can't control are, as you say, like we don't need to have the TV on in the background. If there's breaking COVID-19 news, we'll find out about it, right? For those in treatment, what advice do you have for them during COVID-19, shelter-in-place, quarantine, whatever we want to call it? What's the best advice you have for them? Well, for people who are in treatment, this, the same the same thing applies as to that last question. You know, you asked me about advice to listeners and on managing anxiety and stress. Um, those that are in treatment, focus on what's in front of you, what you're working on. And um, if you're looking for treatment, find a place that is really staying up to date on what's going on in their state, in their locality, and according to the CDC and so on. Vigilance is, is really important. So, you know, the key question is to, to any facility that's treating patients in group, in groups is, you know, uh, what's your vigilance profile? What are you doing to um, stay really day to day and several times a day on top of this? And our answer would be, uh, well, we meet every day. <laughs> Leadership meets every day to review what the news is and change our programming, that sort of thing, uh, as we need to. Uh, people that are in treatment are actually kind of lucky, if you think about it. If they're already set and they're going and, and things are rolling along for them, uh, that's great lucky for them. Definitely. So, uh, doctor, anything else today? We've covered a lot of ground here and you've given some great advice and resources, you know, websites and, and, uh, things online that people can do to, to meditate. What else can we tell people today? Well, I, I would tell people that, you know, this isn't likely, uh, from my medical background to go away real fast. Uh, we're kind of running a long race here. Um, you know, develop uh, patience, forbearance, and stay as connected as you can using all some of the things we talked about and, and what you can find out there. Pick up something new. Uh, pick up a new exercise hobby, whether it's yoga or something else that you can learn. Um, learn to cook, that kind of thing while we're at home. One, one patient was telling me their family is doing those giant puzzles with thousands of pieces. That sounds frustrating to me, but whatever works. I think it's just really great advice that you gave people this, you know, do what they can do to stay connected, to stay mentally and physically well, to understand that this is a, a marathon, unfortunately, not a sprint, and that there are services and people and facilities available to them, like the ones we've talked about today. That's Dr. Bennett Davis, Director of the Pain Recovery Program. For more information, visit SierraTucson.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. This is Let's Talk Mind, Body, Spirit by Sierra Tucson. I'm Scott Webb, and we'll talk again next time.